You're listening to the Horsefest podcast with the founders of Horsefest. I'm Thea. And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse. We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our horse tribe will enjoy. Today we welcome Maria Jones and Dr Richard Fawcett from the Midlands Air Ambulance. Midlands Air Ambulance is one of the Horsefest chosen charities and it operates and funds three air ambulances and two critical care cars which uh, cover six Midlands counties, the counties of Gloucestershire, Herefordshire, Shropshire, Staffordshire, Worcestershire and the West Midlands. I hope I've got that all right. Mary, Maria and Richard, welcome to the Horsefest podcast. Thank you. Yes, a very warm welcome to you both and you, Maria. And um, we'd we'd love to hear a little bit about each of you. Um, So how did you come to be working for the Midlands Air Ambulance? Richard, you're a consultant in emergency medicine and pre-hospital care at the Major Trauma Centre in Stoke. So what led you to medicine in the first place and specifically emergency medicine? So I guess medicine is just one of those things that I always kind of wanted to do. It was either medicine or be a diving instructor. And I guess uh, I got into med school, so uh, I just kind of <laughs> followed that pathway. But uh, but yeah, um, ever since I can remember, really, I always wanted to be a doctor and kind of was always interested in the medical field. Um, and it wasn't quite until sort of the end of medical school when I did my elective in, in, in emergency medicine that I kind of really found my kind of calling out, if, if you can call it that, like uh, I felt really that this was like a subject matter. This was an area that I really wanted to do. I was really kind of drawn into this managing really unwell and stable patients in their kind of time and need, you know, really enjoying kind of the, the challenge of, of trying to make a real difference to, to people's lives when they most needed it and stuff. So, um, so yeah, and then and then from then on, yeah, I was kind of like, right, this is what I want to do. I just need to get on and, and pursue a career in emergency medicine, and kind of just all fell out from that, really. Fantastic, and you've got a huge amount of experience in the field. So tell us some of the key roles that you've had. You've got some really interesting background. So yeah, I've been fortunate enough that uh, over the years, I've managed to kind of gain more experience to do with the management of not only trauma but uh, kind of the acute management of, of various patients not only in the UK but abroad um, over the years I've, I've joined the, the kind of army reserves as, as a medical student and uh, following that I managed to complete three tours of Afghanistan uh, with the British Army um, gaining some real kind of uh, you know eye-opening experiences not only medically but you know I guess to do with life and stuff as well and working with some really amazing people out there and I guess that's really topical at the moment given what's been happening the last last sort of few weeks and stuff um but I've also got a master's in disaster healthcare. I've worked a lot with the Red Cross and other sort of international NGO organizations around the world kind of trying to facilitate kind of uh, responses to uh major incidences you know major outbreaks and stuff um at the moment, a lot of my military work is to do with NATO, We're, especially with the pandemic. I'm uh, the scientific chair of a, of a, a medical organization that uh, has been trying to share lessons learned from around Europe and America and stuff from, from the recent sort of outbreak pandemic for the last 18 months. And, and really kind of, you know, sharing from a civvy kind of military kind of uh, platform uh, to 
kind of ensure that we're all doing best practice and to make sure that, you know, all these kind of golden nuggets of information that are coming out are getting shared around the world and, you know, making sure that everyone can utilize it and stuff. Um, as, as regards to pre-hospital care, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, really kind of the military kickstarted my, my kind of pre-hospital career. Um, and, and then from there just kind of built on it and then, um, joined Midlands Air Ambulance and, and West Midlands Air uh, Ambulance Service back in sort of about 10 years ago now. Um, and that's uh, and that's really because I wanted to get involved with that kind of pre-hospital management of patients. So, you know, moving forward from the, working in the hospital in the A&E, I wanted to move forward and work, you know, the patient's sort of side, you know, at the roadside or at the point of injury to try and deliver, you know, even like more enhanced care to them try and sort of start that patient journey before they even get to hospital and and you know organizations such as maa really facilitates that you know allows people to go the extra mile to to come out and work with some fantastic sort of team members and and everything else to, to try and sort of enhance that patient care journey from from the earliest possible moment and uh, and yeah and that's uh and, that, and that's really been a fantastic opportunity for me from now been involved with the Royal College of Surgeons um, and the Faculty of Pre-Hospital Care. I'm an examiner for, for one of their diplomas and, and help sort of write some of their, their papers and stuff. And uh, and yeah, I guess over the years, I've just been really fortunate that various doors have opened to allow me the opportunity to, to get involved with some really great teams and some really great work. And as I say, MAA has been one of those really kind of great organizations that have not only allowed me to pursue my my interest in medicine but you know allowed me to meet some great individuals and 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 be part of you know a great team really fantastic and presumably that the, the the fact that you're able to get to patients quicker with with a huge amount of expertise means that you know, the, the um the outcome for the patients is going to be massively improved that's it so you know sometimes you can look at us as as almost like a flying a&e department so mm. instead of you know the the patient being need to brought to a and e before we can start some enhanced care you know giving them blood offering them advanced analgesia performing surgical procedures etc well certain surgical things you know we can basically take that senior level of doctor and enhanced care paramedic you know and all that kind of equipment and, and take it to scene so really starting to optimize that patient's journey right you know as close to the 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 point of injury and the 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 time zero from when the accident happened or that incident happened and really trying to optimize their outcome reduce any kind of second order third order effects that that are complications from 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 that point of injury i mean obviously we can't stop someone having an accident or you know once once that medical event or that trauma event has happened that's happened what we try and do is a optimize their patient journey, reduce any sort of pain, suffering, and stuff, but but minimize any potential complications that can result from a delay in in, in that patient receiving medical care. Well, it sounds very much like you have absolutely found your calling, and that means you 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 use the word fortunate. It's fortunate for those people that are in that situation as well that it's something that you enjoy doing. You enjoy the challenge, and actually can bring all of that expertise in so maria let's turn to you and see if you're a round peg in a round hole as well so you're the midlands air ambulance fundraising exec for shropshire so tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be in this role 
So my journey obviously is very different and I quite often say it's probably a good thing that I'm in fundraising and not like Richard because I'm not really great with blood and I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm terrified of flying so I probably oh. wouldn't make the best paramedic in the world. <laughs> so um, I was previously uh, working in mental health in an um, admin role and then I joined the charity in October 2008 so my original role with uh, Midlands Air Ambulance was a tin collection officer. And this sort of covered the North region. So that meant I covered Staffordshire, Westmead, Shropshire. And I had to organise all the tins that were across the region. So I emptied them, found volunteers to help manage that service. Um, and we now have over 8,000 tins across our region. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so those tins actually bring in enough money every year to fuel our helicopters. So when we sort of say loose change really makes a difference, it really makes a difference because oh, it sure. means we can obviously fund the fuel for our aircraft. Wow, so, absolutely incredible. You wouldn't so, think that at all, would you? You'd think no. people dropping a couple of pence in and... that Yeah, it yeah. really does make a difference. <laughs> So then sort of about two years after that, at the end of 2010, I was given the opportunity to join the fundraising team as a fundraising manager. So this role then covered Staffordshire, West Mids and Shropshire. So it was a very big area. But since that time, the areas have grown immensely with fundraising, which is great. So um, they decided to split each county up and have a fundraising exec in each county so I was lucky enough to then manage the Shropshire area where I live and um, I absolutely love it. Oh brilliant yeah you do sound you sound like you are definitely as we said the round peg <laughs> in the round hole as well. Now I'm sure most people have heard of an air ambulance and hopefully haven't had to experience one close up and certainly probably don't know the detail of, of what you do. Can you give us a perhaps um, an overview of the range of work that you get involved in and Rich perhaps we could ask you to go first and then we'll come back to you Maria. Okay. Yeah sure so I mean, I guess it's, it's everything and anything, really. I mean, mainly we're, we're kind of there reserved, um, reserved for, for answering, like, the big calls, you know, the major traumas, the big road traffic collisions that you see on the news, you know, like lorry versus car, all these kind of things where, you know, the, the chance of people sustaining serious injuries, um, you know, this is where we can really make a difference, where we can come along as an enhanced care team and, and really kind of, deliver some advanced care you know like I say it's that idea of bringing an A&E department to well, elements from an A&E department to the roadside but also you know we're involved in you know building fires building collapses explosions industrial accidents uh you know for example you know sporting incidences we go lots lots of racetracks you know like motorsport horse riding uh you know a lot of recreational sport you know a lot of things people do in their spare time you know it's quite dangerous sometimes and can lead to some quite nasty accidents and you know it's nice to know at the back of your mind if something goes wrong then you're going to have some you know really kind of professional people coming out to to, to make a real difference to your day and, and make sure you get the right treatment at the right time and stuff yeah. but I guess also we're we're there for in case of when everything goes wrong so you know like terror attacks and you know major incidences we double up as major incidents advisors you know medical advisors to to big events like that um you know uh, as well as like on a smaller scale you know quite routinely we go to 
gunshot victims, stabbing victims. You know, knife crime is is such a problem these days. And uh, you know, the, these are kind of uh, patient cohorts that, that that we end up going to quite a lot, unfortunately. And you know, it's it's quite sad to see, but. You know, again, it's it's something that we can make a real difference to as well to the patient and, and make sure they get get you know the right type of care at the right time and stuff. Well, it really is an, a huge range, and I guess the commonality is that it's a human body that's in crisis and and needs urgent care, and that's it. it's getting your expertise, no matter the the reason, I guess, for the damage. Yeah, and also, I mean, we're we're involved. I mean, obviously, there's a whole kind of trauma side, but we cover a whole medical spectrum as well. So. You know, for any time, critical medical conditions, strokes, heart attacks, you know, all these kind of things where really getting them to specialist centers to, to, to get defensive care makes a real difference. You know, we, we fly and retrieve these patients from, you know, deepest, darkest Herefordshire and stuff like that. You know, the places in the middle of nowhere where if you go by a road ambulance, it might take you 60, 70 minutes plus. And, you know, every second really counts in here. You know, every second wasted before you get into a cath lab and, and get the clot removed is a second of brain tissue, a second of heart muscle that's, that's dying off and, and, and you can't get back. So it's not just about all the trauma side. It's about like medical emergencies, too, and, and really kind of um, to, you know, not only delivering the patient to the right place, but but as well starting their treatment that, that bit earlier. Yeah. And I hear that every second counts and I guess every penny counts as well, doesn't it, Maria? So, again, what's the range that you will get involved in um, in terms of work as a, as a fundraising exec? So my job is so varied um, and that's probably why I love it so much. So each day is different. You never know what's going to come in that day. Um, so I support people um, across the county that are trying to fundraise they might be sort of individuals or businesses or groups or clubs, sort of cycling groups, equestrian groups, young farmers, WIs. I support them with their fundraising, but also I go out and attend talks and meetings so I can just promote the awareness of the charity. And some people literally like to carry out their own fundraising on their own and then they, they will approach you afterwards. And... Um, then they might want to come to Cosford, obviously, to meet the crew. And we have individuals sometimes who have been airlifted and they want to come back and actually meet the crew that attended on the day. And this really can have a big impact to their own sort of recovery journey to be able to come back and say thank you. Um, so we're involved with that quite often. And then we have our fantastic schools programme called Sky Champs. So this means we're working with local schools to promote the charity. That's primary and secondary schools. Um, and within the programme, we can take our helipod out um, and then we carry out assemblies and we offer CPR and bleed control training for pupils as well. So that really has an impact to obviously, you know, uh, people for the future that might want to go into sort of similar roles to Richard but it, it's just engaging with everybody across our whole region yeah. we hold um, we hold obviously our own charity events as well so I get involved with those but like I say really it's such a varied job people we just need people to fundraise for us yeah yeah that's the that's 
one of the thumping great big messages that we want to send out there isn't it that this great work takes money and we'll we'll come and touch on that and actually it links in brilliantly to to our next question actually is a lot of people listening today might be very surprised to hear that the Midlands Air Ambulance receives no funding at all from the government for these daily missions and relies solely on the support of local people and businesses so how much do you have to raise to support all of this? Yeah, you're totally right there. We receive no funding from the government, no national lottery funding, but we are reliant solely on public donations to reach our 10 million every year. Wow. So each helicopter mission, when it goes out, is £2,500, and each critical care mission costs £224. So across the Midlands region, so Midlands Air Ambulance has three helicopters, three fast response cars that are each at the air bases. So if the aircraft are offline, we've got um, the medics have got the cars to use. And then two critical care cars based in the Black Country and Worcester. And again, Richard can probably tell you how vital those cars have now been for the service as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, just just touching on that point, I mean, when I first joined the Air Ambulance and stuff, I couldn't believe that, you know, this there was no government funding to support these charities. You know, it's we're we're one of sort of various air ambulance charities within England, all of whom get no government funding. It's not just us. And when you see like the the absolutely vital work and and the real difference to patients' care and their prognosis and the aiding in their their speed to recovery and stuff like that, I. I I, I, like I say, I was, I was, I just couldn't believe that that there was no kind of NHS funding or anything like that for them, but but you know it just means that that the the kind of general public just do such an amazing job of of providing all this vital funding to enable ourselves and and our colleagues to to do the work that we do and to make a real difference to to the, those sort of unfortunate members of the general public who who, who need our services now and again. Um, I mean. On an average, we do about four and a half thousand missions a year. So it just gives you a vague kind of inkling into how busy we actually are and stuff and, and the number of patients' lives that we actually have, hopefully, you know, quite a positive impact on and, and, and can make a real difference to. Um, you know, they, they, and, and all the time we're looking to kind of increase and further kind of uh, enhance our team, whether it's sort of putting more cars out, putting more doctors on aircrafts or or just enhancing the, the, the kind of the, the equipment we take and stuff, all of which requires funding and, and all of at the end of the day makes a real difference to, to those patients that they're receiving the care at the end of the line and stuff. Yeah, very much so. And, and um, I'm a member of our local riding club and we did some fundraising. And, and I guess it was triggered in a way by one of our members who actually had to use your services and she's you know she's walking around today and she's um she's riding again because you you were there for her so it it really does show how much the community and the and and people come together to raise so much money 10 million raised every year amazing absolutely and you you told us a little bit about where the funds come from maria and how you how you go about fundraising what would happen if you didn't make your total and what would actually happen that's so so one in four of our missions actually are funded by gifts in wills um, oh, and wow. we have our own lottery as well which is just a pound a week to play yeah. and that has grown considerably in the last 10 years so 
that raise is um, approximately about 3.5 million now. So wow. that's really grown in the last 10 years. Um, and donations come in from obviously corporate sponsors and individuals. But yeah. we're so, so lucky that many of our donors who support us do have annual events for us. So they will keep year after year, you know, keep having the same event. And then across the region, we've got four charity shops where people can donate clothing and furniture. And also we are lucky um, to have amazing volunteers um, who give up their time. And without those volunteers, we couldn't put on a lot of our events. So, you know, we are always looking for volunteers um, because they do make a difference, even if somebody could give up one day a year you know to volunteer that really really makes a difference but like all the charities really in the last 18 months you know it's been hard Mm. it has really been hard um our charity shops had to close temporarily we had to cancel face-to-face events so we had to look at new ways of engaging like many charities so we sort of did our virtual events like our airbase challenge and that raised an amazing sixty three thousand pounds oh wow tell us so, a bit more about that what was it what so did that was um so the number of miles from each airbase people could get involved and do it virtually and then they would have support from some of our crew who would send them out messages so people could do the sort of the walking or the cycling in their own time yeah um and that was like an online bucket collection as well so that was really successful um and of course within that time as like richard was saying the the missions didn't really change we through the um you know the 18 months we were still called out regularly i mean um horse riders are actually lifted um on a on average we airlift a horse rider once a week wow. so um yeah our service you know it's just grown and obviously the more that people were starting to do recreational things go out on their bikes things like that those sort of missions started to go up where people were exercising and then obviously needing us unfortunately yeah. so hopefully we'll never be in a position that we don't you know we don't have enough donations but we never ever take it for granted Mm -hmm. basically you know we need people to support us and just keep supporting us how however they can small big volunteering it's all about just supporting us it's a massive team effort isn't it and I and I guess everybody who supports is is kind of you know they're they're banking for the future as well just you know we we don't know which of us might need you so um Mm -hmm. you know everybody's got to pull together in order to to help you hit those targets um and as you said, horse riders, like well, as horse riders, well, I have to say, knowing the air ambulance exists is incredibly reassuring. Um, I'd, I'd really rather not be in one, but to know it's there is, is a really great thing. Um, so you said you have maybe once a week on average taking a ride and rescuing a, a rider. What sort of incidents do you attend that relate to riders? Richard, you probably can answer that. What sort of interest? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I've been to a fair few riders over the years and stuff, and and sometimes not all of them, thankfully, need to be airlifted because they have sustained relatively more minor injuries, and therefore, you know, a normal land ambulance is fine to take them to their local hospital. But where the where their injuries are, are kind of a bit more serious, or they're a bit more 
um, battered and bruised, should we say, with with a more significant injury, then then that's where really kind of flying them to one of the major, one of the three major trauma centres that we have in the region. You know, one of them being Stoke, where I, I work in uh, mm. as my day job, but also you know Birmingham in the QE and, and down in Coventry. You know, really kind of makes a difference having that ability to fly them in there because. You know, they, these are big, massive, heavy, powerful animals that you're riding that, you know, not only if you fall off them, you're falling from, you know, some significant height onto what normally is a fairly solid sort of uh, ground. Mm. But, uh, you know, you can injure your head, your neck, your spine. Uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of back injuries. We see a lot of sort of dislocated shoulders, broken arms, broken legs, potentially you know, when the horse falls on you as well, you know, then you can look at some quite serious pelvic injuries as well as, uh, you know, obviously any internal organ damage because, you know, depending on where that kind of ton of weight kind of, you know, which bit of that is squashing you really, you know, it's, it's quite a, a high energy force to, to against your, your relatively smaller body. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, it's pretty much anything really, you know, like uh, if you go to enough horse riding accidents, you'll pretty much see every part of the body's being injured at some point. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I, I kind of wish <laughs> you hadn't asked that question. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh, ow, Ooh. ouch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of guessing um, as we go around the geography of the body, actually you go around the geography of, of I guess it's it's not all big competitions and eventing that you, you'll go to. It's people hacking, I guess, as well. Yeah, right? I mean, that's Place. it. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, the event stuff, personally, I've only been to a few events. A lot of it is just, you know, your average rider out on the hack on either their their, their own horse or, or a stable horse. And, 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 yeah, you know, just going down a country lane and the horse gets spooked by traffic or, you know, they're in the arena having a lesson and they, you know, they fall off at a jump or, or you know, it can be the most simple of things. They're, they're just in the yard and stuff and, and a horse kicks out and, you know, strikes them in the head or, or something like that and, Oh, you know, it's with with that much kind of weight behind it. It, it does it does cause a, a tremendous amount of energy transfer, and, and unfortunately, it can result in some quite serious injuries. Yeah, I think I it's a really. Not... Oh, sorry, oh, go, go on, on, Heidi. I was going to say, and, and we're not always in accessible places, are we? Because you know, obviously, you can you can ride across bridleways and open fields. So again, that's another great benefit of having the air ambulance, isn't it? Presumably, you can get to a, a lot of places that um, cars or ambulances can't. Yes, definitely. I mean, some of some of your colleagues certainly like to go off into the middle of nowhere, which is completely inaccessible <laughs> by road vehicles. So having having the ability to pretty much like fly up any big hill or, or anything like that, which you know otherwise would mean an extremely long extraction by sort of mountain rescue and something like that, which would take hours and hours to get to to the nearest road where where a road ambulance could go to. Mm. You know, we can kind of potentially land right next to you and just get you. Sort of whisked away and in hospital before you know even a team would get to you by by foot. So you know that that's one of the massive advantages to to sort of horse riders and people who kind of go in in kind of remote areas um, and and who unfortunately sustain you know injuries and stuff. It is is something we can make a real difference to. Yeah, and it's it's a really important point as well. The, the significant number of injuries that are not you you might imagine that they're all five star eventers um but actually it can be as you say simply handling a horse on a yard and as you say something happens it's a freak accident and and there's a serious trauma in place so it with that in mind again um 
Richard, it'd be great to understand if there's any learnings from your experience with riders now that you think could could help listeners. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's always there's always lessons to be learned and stuff, and and no matter how much you kind of do or or, or how much you learn and stuff, there's I always think there's a few more bits that people can always perfect, and, and there's always room for improvement. One of the things recently I found really useful for for anyone who's kind of going off piece is this new app called, well, relatively new app called What Three Words. And that's something that the emergency services have really been pushing out. And this is basically the whole world is mapped into three meter square kind of boxes, basically. So 10 foot by 10 foot. And if you use this this app, it will basically give you three three different words. And basically, if you quote that to the emergency services when you ring up, so if you're in the middle of you know, a field with no real identifying features, um, you can give this and then they can pinpoint you within a three meter square area so you've suddenly reduced your search area down from potentially a couple of miles to a couple of meters and that can really speed up the process of locating seriously injured patients um whether they be riders or or whoever in remote areas um and and that's one big thing that makes our job of finding and getting to to the patient in you know in a much quicker kind of more timely manner really really kind of it's really helped us um other little things is like, you know, if we are coming to you and you're at an event or something like that, it's just being mindful that the aircraft does create a lot of downwash. It is a very noisy kind of platform that we use. And therefore, you know, it's, it's quite, if there are other horses or horse riders in the vicinity, it's just about being mindful. You might need to stop the events. You might need to kind of control the horses, get riders off so they don't start getting spooked. And suddenly, you know, one casualty turns into lots of casualties because more and more people get thrown as the, as the aircraft lands or something like that. Uh, and just thinking about, you know, if 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 you are in an event or something like that, then just, you know, the aircraft needs kind of a what's known as a 2D landing. So it means twice the diameter of the total length of the aircraft. So you're looking at at least a 30 meter kind of sort of space that has an absolute minimum requirement that the, that the aircraft needs to land in. So if if you've got a field and you've got a few things dotted around, maybe, you know, just move a couple of vehicles so so the aircraft's got a nice, safe landing spot kind of relatively close to, to wherever the injured patient is or something like that. Yeah, that they're really, yeah, yeah, really great tip. And, and actually, I'm thinking um, the first tip is remember to take your phone with you because I've actually left the yard and gone back because I thought I, I can't go on this hack. I've left my phone so that you can simply you know, use that app if you need to as well and people can find you. Mm. Definitely. And and just simple things like, uh, you know, if if you're in an event or if you know the personal sign, just before you go out, before it happens, just have some basic information about the patient because, you know, it might be very well that someone's just going to a yard and they want to go out and hack and it's the first time they've met them. And apart from their first name, you know, they might not know anything else about them, who their next of kin is, what their emergency contact details are. If they've got any allergies, you know, are they are they on any medication and, and stuff like that? And just simply having like a really kind of basic form with like name, address, contact number, stuff like that, date of birth, who their GP is or something, you know, or even just get them to fill it in and keep it in their pocket if they didn't obviously want to share those details. So if something happens and they got knocked unconscious, then you're not really just ringing up going, I've got this unknown person who looks about 30 or something who's now unconscious with a serious medical problem that I don't know anything about. And and sometimes just having those key bit of information can really make a massive difference to, to us, you know, making sure we don't give them the wrong drugs, you know, something they're allergic to, or, you know, just make sure we can get in contact with their families to, to keep, keep them up to date, you know, to reassure them that, 
you know, A, they're okay, or if there's something, you know, that they need to come to hospital and they're not worrying, going, oh, I've not heard from so-and-so, when actually, you know, we, we can keep them abreast of all, all that's going on and stuff. Absolutely. And also you can use your phone for that as well, can't you? If you fill in the medical ID and the health details on your phone, then people can access that, um, even though they don't have your PIN code, I believe. That's right. Yeah, you can have like an emergency contact bit that comes up when you try and unlock the phone. And, and yeah, that's just, yeah, I mean, things like that can make a real difference and just speed up the process and, and, and really kind of, you know, everything's about speed and, and time and stuff a lot of the time. And, you know, if, you, if you're seriously injured or seriously unwell, every every kind of second, every minute counts. So if you can just streamline all these kind of things, it, it just makes everything run a lot more smoothly and, and, and then just optimizes the care that the patient's going to get. Fantastic. Yeah, that, that makes loads of sense. Really, really good tips there. Um, I'm sure as a, a, there are many, many, many success stories with your, your thousands of missions that you've run um, as a charity, but we, we'd love to hear about a couple of the most memorable moments for you guys as individuals. So one of, I would say one of my proudest moments was when we unveiled our first helicopter that we owned in 2014. We did it at Cosford. There was like a big curtain in front of the aircraft. We had all the crew there (laughs) and sort of we counted down and, and it was just, it was just wonderful to actually think that we'd achieved by our own helicopter because up until that point, we'd only ever leased our helicopters and we Ah. we now actually own two. So that was amazing. Yeah. So that was a real moment, you know, of achievement. And I'm going to say something now that sounds probably a bit cheesy, but but every time I am at Cosford, you know, like if I'm hosting visits and things and you see the crew and they go out to the helicopter and it takes off, you feel immense pride that you know you you are involved with such a that I am you know I am involved with such a fantastic charity and that charity is helping to save somebody's life and you hope that you know that person is going to be fine and that the crew will get there and everything will be fine and it's just it is amazing feeling to think that you know we can help we can help save lives it's incredible isn't it that must be amazing how about yourself Richard have you yeah, so I was I was kind of thinking about this question, and I guess like, you know, it's always nice because sometimes obviously you pick up strangers, don't know who they are, and you drop them off, and you, you do whatever you can for them in the short time you're with them and stuff before they get to hospital. And a lot of the time, you know, that's it. You, you kind of don't hear from them again, or you know, and, and you you're always left wondering and stuff. But I was thinking yeah. back a couple of years ago. Now um, we responded to uh, to a little toddler who's a couple of years old who had been with his parents and stuff in a yard when a horse had kicked out and kicked him in the head, unfortunately. Knocked on, you know, knocked out and then, you know, became quite unwell, vomiting, et cetera. And, and, and we were obviously called out to, to render assistance and stuff. And, you know, he was so unwell, in fact, that when we got there, we had to pop him off to sleep in, in, in a medically induced coma, put him on the ventilator and stuff and fly him to, to, to you know, the kind of BCH, so the tertiary children's hospital for the region and stuff. Um and uh and yeah you know it turned out that you know had a skull fracture and a bleed on the brain and stuff like oh, this and you know you kind of really really one of those moments where you think oh my god this is like a life or death situation you know it's only a few years old it's you know you really kind of you know really wrenches at your heartstrings and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know you think about your own family and stuff but it was so nice to find out months later you know like uh 
that actually, you know, he'd done so well. He'd made a full recovery, you know, and now developing as normal as if it never happened and stuff. And, you oh. know, it's, you know, this went from being like a seriously unwell child with really kind of life-threatening injury um, that we were able to step in and intervene at an early stage and, you know, protect his airway so he didn't, you know, aspirate his vomit and that he didn't lose his airway and, and stop breathing. And all these kind of complications are associated with this really severe type of injury that, that can occur from this freak accident in this small child. And actually, you know, and then to find out, like, it was kind of a little coincidentally just, just months later, like, down the line that, someone had been talking about this case because they'd come up to the base and, and everything else to, to kind of look around and, you know, kind of, offer, you know, offer, offer their thanks and stuff like that. And it was just so kind of, it was such a, like a, a great feeling to know that actually this child was now doing, you know, basically having a normal life where mm. potentially it could have been such yeah. a different outcome and stuff. And I guess it's just when you have, you know, you, when you, you think back and reflect on patient care that you've delivered where actually you have made a difference and, and, you know, you really kind of, improve that patient's outcome and, and, you know, where possible kind of return them to a, kind of a normal life and stuff where potentially it could have been so life-changing or, or, or even if it is life-changing, you, you know, you stopped it being death or something like that. And they're still here yeah. today with us to, to carry on and sort of, you know, sharing their experiences and stuff. Yeah, I've got proper goosebumps on that I one. Have, I was <laughs> yeah. say, I have, I goose going to say total goosebump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely incredible. Oh. So, um, incredible, memorable moments. Um, and I think all the mums listening to this will be holding their toddlers tighter and, and being very, very glad that you guys are out there. Um, so let's move on to the festival um, because we are hugely excited that Midlands Air Ambulance will be coming along to Horse Fest, the festival, next summer to raise the profile and hopefully raise lots of money and help with some sessions hopefully about rider first aid so perhaps if there is a couple of top tips if any of us riders were to have an accident out riding the chances are that our hacking partners um and that's not our horses the uh, human <laughs> hacking partners and um, would be the only ones on the scene for a while so what are a few tips um for us to know when we're out there to make things stable until you guys can come and help so I, I guess I can lead on this. So I guess one of the most important things is keeping yourself safe, first of all, as, as you know, the person responding or the, or the other person there. So the worst thing we want is for you to be injured in the process of trying to help someone else as well. So, you know, personal safety, scene safety is always important. So make sure you don't put yourself, you know, by wandering across a busy road or, or something like that, you know, that's, that's going to cause you injury. Um, obviously, once once you've made sure that you're safe, then then kind of rendering some basic first aid to the patient's important. So if they're awake, great, talk to them, you know, reassure them, try and, you know, ascertain what's wrong with them. If they're complaining of neck pain, back pain, stuff like that, try and keep them, you know, mobilized. So try and stop them from moving too much just in case they've got a spinal injury because what you don't want to do is make that any worse and then risk the, the chance of some paralysis or, or complications with, with that. Keeping them warm is important. So, you know, they're going to be lying most likely on a cold, wet ground, so, you know, if, you, if you've got a spare blanket, you know, you can take the rug off the, off the horse, something like that, and just try and, and wear best, you know, kind of shelter them from the elements and stuff uh, until more help arrives. I mean, I guess one of the best things or, that you can do if, as, as a rider, as, as someone who's going out and stuff, is get yourself on a basic first aid course. Learn, you know, learn basic life support, learn how to do CPR, 
learn some basics about, you know, how to put someone in a recovery position. Um, you know, what are some of the common sort of uh, emergencies you might have to respond to? What, what, what would you do if you, you know, someone broke their leg and it was wonky and stuff? How can you support them? How can you, uh, you know, how, what, what, what's the kind of key information that you need to have to hand when you ring 999? You know, as for a lot of people, like that might be the first time they ever talk to the emergency services. And I guess it can be a little bit kind of daunting. And it's just to think, oh, what, what questions might they ask me and stuff? And it's things like, where are you? You know, is the patient breathing? Um, you know, what, what's actually happened and stuff. And, and just by having a little kind of like framework in your head to think, oh, okay, well, I'm going to try and anticipate some of these questions. So I'm going to ask the patient what their name is, what they've done, what hurts, have a quick look at them. You know, are they awake? Are they breathing? Does it look like they're breathing normally? Um, can I find anything obviously wrong with them? And, and then try and pass all that pertinent information over to the, the, to the call handler who can then obviously escalate the, the call should should you start identifying you know serious injuries or, or really concerning problems absolutely great top tips and um i've i've done quite a lot of um first aid courses with my um other business which is a, a swimming business um and i was very very grateful that i did i had to to, had to perform cpr on a three-year-old on holiday recently wow. which was the most traumatic thing that I've ever had to do in my entire life. But the first thing I did afterwards was write an email to the guy who trained me to say thank you. So um, if, yeah, if anyone listening hasn't done a first aid course, um, it doesn't take very long to actually learn some really, really important skills. So, I think uh, that's the important thing. You know, even me as someone who's been doing this for years and years and years, I still find dealing with, you know, small children like that really quite a traumatic experience. But there's nothing worse than being stood there at the same time and not knowing what to do. I mean, that's even more of a traumatic kind of, you know, what to do moment and just feeling absolutely helpless. And, and just having that little bit of knowledge can make such a difference to the outcome of, of, of a patient like that. You know, good CPR, you know, as a bystander from, from the time it happens, you know, really improves that chance of survival for that patient. So, you know, like just just doing the basics right can it can have a real kind of, positive impact on that patient's journey yeah absolutely and a, a friend of mine who's a doctor I said I think once a long time ago I said but what if I get it wrong what if I don't do it right you know if ever this the thing happens she said well they're dead already so anything you do is better than nothing and I think that's the key thing isn't it Definitely. you've got to just step in and yeah do that first aid course folks <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the, the little boy that the little boy that I came across um was fine so it was all good that's right. <laughs> um, so lots of serious subjects and we, we've heard lots about um, what you guys do work-wise but what about pleasure what do you guys get up to any horsey activities or well I used to be horsey mad as a teenager so <laughs> I owned two ponies and a horse and oh. yeah and that was all my weekends school holidays and then unfortunately oh. accident 27 years ago oh. So that smashed, smashed up my pelvis, totally mashed up my right hip and leg, pinned and it plated. So it sort of put pay to my riding days. Um, so now, now I tend to stick to gardening. Um, I do a little bit of cycling, but with four children, two grandchildren and a, third, and a third grandchild <laughs> in December, to be honest, I don't have a lot of spare time. 
<laughs> it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> it sounds very busy, but also it sounds like you might be volunteering to come to Horse Fest if you are a horsey person at oh, heart. Oh, definitely. I still love horses. <laughs> <laughs> Phenomenal. And Richard, you have, uh, I think you've got a list of high-octane sports you like getting involved with, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, over the years, I've liked to do quite a lot of sport and stuff, but I mean, I must admit, you know, one of my first passions was riding, actually. I, I grew up, so with the summer jobs on a on a on a yard and stuff like that, mocking out, oh. so I learned to ride and you know just taking the horses out there back at the end of the day to put them in the fields and stuff. And it was something that kind of grew to love from a very early age and stuff. Unfortunately, as you know, you get older and stuff, and and other life commitments come in. You know, your ability to dedicate that amount of time to to doing a hobby that you really enjoy just gets less and less. And I guess sometimes now, you know the I probably only get out on a horse once or twice a year now, and it's 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 a shame because it's it's something that I really quite miss and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I have very fond memories of, of a very nice childhood of spending a lot of time with some great people and, and doing some great things. Really, oh, oh brilliant! Well, well, once a, once or twice a year is better than than none. <laughs> we we horse people say, and both Heidi and I had large breaks from from riding um when we were younger and then riding as an adult so there's still time Richard for you to get that back in your life <laughs> <That's again. fine. laughs> so guys so, yeah we, we always ask our guests for um top tips or relatable advice um so something that you could share with uh, the the questions in the horse tribe you've already given us some amazing advice and top tips um and have you got any other key points that you could you could give us so I guess one there's, there's two top tips I've got for for, for riders and stuff. Is first is just try and maintain a kind of basic level of fitness. Uh, obviously, the fitter you are, you know, especially walk, working on your core stability and stuff, will just reduce your your chance of like uh, sustaining like uh, uh, muscle injuries or falling off accidents, that kind of stuff. Because you know, poor posture and stuff, etc. You know, leads to leads to that kind of especially muscle complications, etc. And then if you are going to ride or you are going to fall off and stuff, then make sure you've got the correct PPE, so the personal protective equipment on. You know, make sure that you, it's all in working order, that it's not damaged. And, you know, so if in the unfortunate event that you are going to fall off, that your helmet is going to protect you, you know, it's going to stop you from sustaining the brain injury, that if you are wearing other bits of personal protective gear, that it's going to do its job and, and make a real difference, protect your spine and, and stuff like that. To, to You know, you might be a bit battered and bruised, but at least you won't have a you know, a broken like uh, vertebrae or, or, or spinal complication or, you know, bleed on the brain or something like that. And, and you know, it's it's much better to to kind of try, A, not have the accident in the first place or B, if you are going to have it, try and have as much kind of protection as possible to sort of limit that kind of, uh, limit the, the extent of your injuries and stuff. So, you know, in the best case, you can just brush yourself off and get back on the horse and carry on and enjoy your day rather than having us come out to, to help you course we're always going to come and help you but you know it's a bad day if you're seeing one of us flying over I mean, probably, <laughs> i'm sure you'd much rather be continuing with your hack rather than taking a free trip in a helicopter <laughs> yeah amazing. most definitely not yeah not for accident reason for sure and um, Ria, is there anything you would add to top tips as well well richard's given you all the safety top tips obviously <laughs> i'm i'm on the fundraising top tips for anybody in the equestrian world who just has an opportunity to, to support us in any way they can really I mean, it's simple, even little things like having a tin maybe on your yard or joining the lottery, donating something to the shops, holding an event or just keeping in touch and seeing if you can volunteer at some point. 
so you know we need you and we'd love to hear from anybody who thinks that they can support us really that's wonderful and I love that you've given some tips there that aren't necessarily about money because they can be time can be kind of money effectively it can yeah definitely yeah yeah wonderful um and we've talked about lots of serious subjects and really very important subjects today but we're absolutely convinced like all the professionals we've spoken to there are some funny moments along the way that you can share with us so um please do make us laugh and give us a bit of a giggle as well so who'd like to go first Richard do you want to go first yeah I can go first so (laughs) I guess uh I mean I guess you know there's quite as you can imagine you know there's quite a lot of places that we go that are quite remote and especially come the winter months like when you're going to sort of farms up in the hills or the valleys or or someone that's in quite remote remote location it's normally cold wet and you know some places are certainly more boggy and slippery than others especially when you're like clambering over uh, walls and whatnot to get to the patient and I guess you know there's been more than one occasion where both myself and potentially my my colleagues have uh, taken a bit of a slip and a slide and ended up looking instead of a nice gleaming red uniform a more kind of brown mucky uniform um, <laughs> and turning up looking sometimes worse than the patient does who's uh, off their <laughs> and, stuff. and then uh, obviously then having to you know just smile saucily at the pilot as we come back towards the helicopter looking like <laughs> mud monsters just knowing the fact that it's going to take us forever to get the helicopter all nice and gleamingly clean afterwards but that's it you know once, once it's all done and dusted you can look back and have a laugh and stuff but sometimes at the time you're just like oh my god what's going on here <laughs> Oh, no. And Maria? So one of my um, unusual requests to attend a Czech presentation was at a nudist camp. Oh, (laughs) not very deep pockets there, then. So so I I went totally closed, of course. um, (laughs) And it's probably my naivety. I just, I don't know what I thought, really. But um, I have to say they were fantastic fundraisers. Um, They raised over £2,000 and all of it was raised from a fun run on Boxing Day. Oh, amazing. That was chilly. Your imagination. That's very chilly. (laughs) And that's one one motivation to keep running, isn't it? It is. And then another one I went to was I was asked to attend another Czech presentation over at Chelm Marsh near uh, Bridge North. And I don't know if any of you know, but I didn't actually know there were two village halls in the village. So I, I went to the first village hall where they. Um, invited me in there was a lot of people I introduced myself at the door they escorted me to a table gave me a lovely cup of tea started chatting um, and then they brought me over a meal and I thought oh sure this wasn't mentioned on the invite about a meal so I asked the lady on the table uh, what time the check presentation was and she sort of looked at me and she said check presentation no this is a harvest supper deal not a prep check presentation (laughs) (laughs) so and then they said I think you probably want the sports hall down the road so I'd gone to the completely wrong village hall oh no did you did you eat the meal 
I didn't actually because oh. I knew that somebody else had obviously ordered it. So I made a quick getaway and went to the other presentation. <laughs> so always check, always check your postcode. <laughs> Good point. Absolutely. What a, Love- what, what a village to live in with two village halls. It sounds oh. amazing. <laughs> Very odd. <laughs> oh guys look thank you so much for joining us today um we've had a great time chatting to you guys um and learning lots as we always do on these podcasts but um it'd be really great if you could tell our listeners where they can find you if they'd like to know more if they'd like to support you so where would where do they need to look so the best place really is just head to our website which is midlandsairambulance.com obviously has all the information about faith um things that are going on with the charities nice and simple to access and it's got all the information so please just say everybody take a look you know and and see what they could do to maybe support us in some way fantastic yeah fabulous yeah it's been hugely inspirational to chat to you guys today to find out a bit more about the work that you do and to find out that you're so horsey as well so you've got this you've got a very strong empathy with us um going around and and hopefully mostly not breaking ourselves so thank you very much for the difference that you you make and everybody at the midlands air ambulance makes to people's lives and for joining us and sharing your experiences and i say this in in the nicest possible way we really hope we don't see you soon <laughs> so thank you thank you well, thank you thank you for thank having you. us yeah thanks thanks. thanks thanks for giving us the opportunity thank you not at all bye-bye bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. thank you for listening to the horse fest podcast we'd love you to subscribe rate and review the podcast and share it with your horse tribe Keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests.